Investment Podcast, brought to you by M&G. This podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments will fluctuate, which will cause prices to fall as well as rise, and investors may not get back the original amount they invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information and views expressed should not be taken as a recommendation, advice, or forecast. Hello, and welcome to the M&G Investment Podcast. In the current bond environment, we're seeing a number of developing themes. The gradual reduction of QE bond purchases, sharply rising inflation, and an expectation of higher interest rates in developed markets. Throw into the mix a healthy dose of geopolitical risk in the Ukraine, a potential energy crisis, and rising oil prices, it's fair to say that the major economies are facing headwinds that could reasonably be described as gale force. To discuss these issues, I'm joined today by Miles Tim, Senior Portfolio Manager covering government bond markets, and Richard Ryan, Senior Portfolio Manager on a multi-asset credit strategies. Welcome to both of you. Hello. Hi, David. Good to be here. So if I may, I'd like to start with you, Miles, and focus on what sits at the core of many of the issues investors are grappling with at the moment, inflation. It does continue to surprise on the upside, yet most forecasters continue to regard the spike as temporary. Is this justified? Uh, Have we moved beyond transitory to structural inflation? What are your thoughts? It's still perfectly possible and, and indeed not unlikely that it that it proves to be transitory. And it, I think it's certainly the case that the current CPI and RPI prints you're seeing at the moment are definitely exaggerated and you're not going to see inflation um, proceeding at the pace it is at the moment. But having said that, this, this, this temporary spike keeps going higher and higher than expected and persisting for longer and longer. And if you look at inflation forecasts now, they have got... You know, a longer time period to return to what would have been yeah, the more average inflation rates that you saw before this this spike. So I, I think there's you know there's in, in increasing concerns that perhaps it's not going to be as as, as temporary as as was certainly initially assumed when when inflation started to rise. And there's only so long you can keep making the temporary excuse for. I mean temporary for a few months is all very well, but as you get, yeah, if you start to stretch into a second year of really elevated inflation, I think you're really starting to stretch the temporary definition, um, which indeed was, was something that was, um, you know, the, the Fed chairman, um, Jerome Powell, was drawing attention to in in, in the more recent um, um, press conferences that the Fed has given. Certainly that, you know, th- there's only so long we can use this temporary phase for before certainly we need to do something about it. And the, and the Fed has, has clearly decided that actually they've seen enough of the temporary and they, and they do, in fact, need to start doing something about it. Albeit, I, I think it's still not unreasonable to think the, the current spike uh, in inflation is, is an exaggeration and it will dissipate through time. Um, but, but that's getting less and less certain by the month, I think. Do you think that there is a, a different path to inflation developing between the Eurozone and perhaps uh, the UK and the US? To a certain extent, yes. I mean, we, I think we, we've, we've spoken about this, this, this before and indeed the, the theme has, has, has continued in that there's, there's a global inflationary theme. There's a global um, problems with, with certain supply chains. You've had a, a massive global shift in consumption patterns away from experiences to actually buying physical goods over the last couple of years. And that has put a lot of strain on supply chains, which is to a certain extent a global problem. But there's also no, no doubt about the fact that uh, different countries are experiencing very different inflation rates. And it does seem to be a more pronounced problem in the UK and the US than it does in Europe at the moment. But I think it, it, it's a global theme, but, but perhaps with slightly different emphasis in, in, in different countries. But, but I think it's an issue that all central banks either are grappling with already or are certainly going to need to grapple with in the coming months. Perhaps thinking a little bit about the pace 
of um, any interest rate movements that might evolve in the uh, the various major economies. It does look like the US Fed um, and the UK are ahead of the game, perhaps a little bit relative to Europe. Um, do you feel they've moved too far, too soon? Uh, is it just right? How does the pacing of, of the evolving central bank policy look to you? I think at the moment it's it, it's okay. It, there, there isn't an issue with, with with going too fast. I don't think. I think the the difference in the central bank approaches is is very much uh, a, a mirror image of of the varying inflation rates that we've just spoken about. So, yeah, inflation much more pronounced due to you know, more rapid economic bounce back in the U.S. Uh, so it's, it shouldn't really surprise us that the uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve is, is is lining up to move before the ECB. Um, so I, I think the, the the pace is is right. It's right that those expectations have been pulled forward because again, that's you know a reflection of the fact that central banks are taking their mandate seriously. So, so clearly, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the where you may get, and you're going to start to to, to risk policy error, where you're going to enter the realms of policy error debate, is once you've had a few rate hikes, and you know, do you want to see any more? How much of a gap should yeah, the central banks that are going to move first, so the Fed and the Bank of England, how much of a gap should they leave in between tightening to see how the dust settles, if, if you like, and how much scope have they got to do that? So I think, yeah, the, the fact that, that these central banks have well, started in the Bank of England's case have clearly made us very aware of the fact that they're about to start in the faith case of the, of the US Federal Reserve. I, I think that's fine. I, I think the, the danger points are going to come in a few months' time when they've delivered two or three hikes and, you know, do they need to deliver more? Do they need to pause for a bit? And, and how's the economy going to take that? So I think for the time being, the pace is fine. The more testing times are going to come a few months down the track, I think. So if the pacing is fine, how far do you think central banks will actually have to go in tightening? And what might be the combination between perhaps official interest rates and quantitative tightening? I mean, for example, will the ECB rely solely on reducing its bond purchases or should we expect a rate increase in the Eurozone too? I think you know, taking the, the the last question first. I think it, it's it's not unreasonable. You will eventually see rate hikes in in the um, from the ECB. I, I think it, it's not on the agenda for the time being. I think the very yeah the initial stages of it are obviously one step at a time uh, and and you know ending any uh, bond purchases first. But if you look at some um, government forward rates, you know German in German government bonds, for example, the we tend to look at forward rates because they, they they strip out sort of where you are right now and look at how the market's looking a year ahead. Um, and a sort of front-end barometer for, for perhaps where the German government bond market is seeing things is the one-year uh, rate, one year forward. Uh, and that rate, although it's still in negative territory, so the market is still priced for slightly negative um, interest rates even a year into the future in, in Europe. It's less negative than it was. It's risen by about 50 or 60 basis points over the last few months. And it's actually, although still mildly negative, it's actually the highest it's been for five years. Um, and I don't, wouldn't really have any argument with that market pricing. So the, the market is clearly you know, entertaining the idea that, that um, perhaps uh, European interest rates will be rising gradually in 12 months' time or so. And I think that's not an unreasonable assumption. You know, bear in mind, they are coming from a negative negative area. So, I, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't rule out um, a rise in interest rates from the ECB, but not but not just yet. I think that, that's still you know, several months at, be, at the earliest and possibly at least a year away. Um, going back to the, the, the first question with the, the combination of, of interest rate rises and quantitative tightening, I mean, the markets so far have, have priced it to be much more of a, an interest rate rising, um, official interest rate rising tightening rather than a, a sort of meaningful quantitative tightening, I think. And the reason I say that is because of the 
dramatic flattening we've had in the yield curve in in the US in in recent months. So you've had a big rise in the uh, the expectations for for near term interest rates, but the longer dated rates on on longer dated bonds and those the forward rates that that implies for many years into the future haven't really budged up very much and are in fact still a long way below. If you look at the ten year average before COVID struck, they're still a long way below that. And bear in mind that's a that's a period when inflation was generally very well behaved, stroke subdued uh, in the wake of the financial crisis. So you know, the fact that longer dated um, treasuries, longer dated gilts are still not pricing in, you know, any, anything like those kind of higher rates in future years um, would suggest that I think markets are very much focused on rises and in official interest rates being the tool, certainly initially, rather than any form of quantitative tightening. But I think that's that's a dangerous assumption. And, and I think certainly in terms of where we're seeing things in portfolios, they, the, the, mar- the bonds that are perhaps now most vulnerable to uh, further repricing are perhaps the longer dated nominal bonds in particular, um, because they haven't really reacted that much to this change in signaling from central banks. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the first phase of this, yes, will be an initial tightening in official interest rates. But as we get further down the line, and if more tightening is required, I think central banks have, well, not only do I, do I think they've started to signal to us that, that actually they would very much like it to be a combination of the two. Uh, and I think markets are vulnerable to that, certainly to the the, you know, the quantitative tightening element of, of things, if and when that becomes a, a tool that central banks do use, uh, which I think will be on the agenda a, a few months down the line. So fair to say then that your view would perhaps be summarised as uh, slightly negative on bonds at the moment for the uh, the government sector and with steeper curves uh, evolving over the course of the next few months? I think certainly the the cautious, uh, slightly negative view and and, and a fear that, that that yields may head higher. That that's definitely true. I think really what we've what we would really observe is that the the very aggressive flattening, almost suggesting it's a it's a sort of policy error, can only go so far. And so actually, yes, if you get a further sell off from here, we we certainly think that longer dated. It, it's possible that shorter dated yields could continue to go quite a lot higher as well. So the curve might not steepen that dramatically. But I, I certainly we think if there is more pain in bond markets and more repricing in yields, then it, it's time for longer bonds to, to you know, play their part in that as well, because they've been fairly well protected from the significant repricing in bond markets we've seen over the last few months. And we, we don't think that can continue. You know, if bond markets need to reprice further, we think all yields head, need to head higher. So give, given this evolving policy environment that Miles has been describing, Richard, I wonder if you could perhaps elaborate on how this might actually impact in a, a wider range of, of bond assets, specifically uh, your thoughts on how the corporate bond market might respond to this developing policy environment. I think the, the rise of inflation and the prospect of a change in monetary policy really bears down on credit markets in, in two separate ways. The first uh, is on general risk appetite. Credit is a risk asset uh, and investors need to be compensated for the risks that they bear. And I think coming into this year, Investors really were faced with a marketplace that with you know very tight spreads. If we if we parallel that back to to a previous occasion, if we look back to say 2018, Federal Reserve you know was pushing rates higher at, at that time, um, and risk appetite uh, was low, and, and investors really stood aside from the marketplace, and we we saw a a slow but steady widening in credit spreads, and, and spreads moved by roughly 90 to 100 basis points. So almost a whole percentage point wider. You know, on a on a market with a five-year duration, you're looking at a 5% capital price loss from that. 
clearly if it takes all year, you'll, you'll earn, you'll earn your, your interest rate, you'll earn your, your coupon income off that, which will reduce it. But nonetheless, you know, if that's the environment, if we can, if the parallel is 2018 and we would expect investors to stand aside from this marketplace and allow spreads to generally widen out over that period, you know, credit, credit investors may be looking at uh, yet another year of, of negative returns. And that prospect, I think, does hold investors on the sideline. You know, alongside this debate, you know, as, as Miles said, at the moment it's mostly focused on inflation and the change in monetary policy. If in the months ahead we begin looking at a change uh, from quantitative easing to potentially quantitative tightening, whether that's through you know, central banks stopping reinvesting coupons or actually beginning to dispose of chunks of their balance sheet, that's a significant loss of positive inflows into the marketplace. And I think that will be felt. And, and, and investors have been poor at quickly recognising the signs of those deteriorating technicals within the marketplace and have mostly begun to price those in with, with hindsight. So I think there's a, there's a general loss of risk appetite that's already evident in, in marketplaces. And then, Inflation hits in a, in a different way, which is, is it hits directly onto the balance sheets of some companies. And we are seeing uh, the ravages of the pandemic and a period of subsequent inflation hit some balance sheets particularly hard. So we've seen labor cost rises in some, some parts of the economy and uh, some segments we've seen difficulty in obtaining labor. So Maybe it's the leisure sector or certain parts of, of the industrial value chain where companies are struggling to replenish their, their workforce. We've seen the cost of that workforce uh, increase. Um, and then we've seen uh, inflation uh, feed through in terms of input prices. And that hits credit markets in different ways. It, it, and perhaps investment grade is more resilient to this with you know, more branded goods, more pricing power from these individual companies. But high-yield manufacturers who might be producing uh, white-label products uh, who don't have that branding uh, with which to, to push through those new costs are finding their margins squeezed um, and balance sheets are deteriorating. And that's requiring, you know, skilled management to work hard to keep these businesses um, uh, running at full, at full steam. So... You know, on one side, you've got demand has been stoked with low interest rates by central banks and supply chains have been disrupted by both inflation and you know, the COVID pandemic. So that, again, we're seeing the rise of individual company, I almost use the term distress, but we're seeing uh, in the current market weakness, a number of issuers get hit quite hard in terms of market pricing as a result of these deteriorating margins which, which come through from effects that Miles has described. So within that environment, do you see any brighter spots in the marketplace which still look investable, even allowing for the inflationary environment and the, the pressure on costs, supply chain and labour? Yeah, we will always take the view that, that the marketplace is, is, is filled with opportunity. And we, we start by asking the question, even on these more distressed uh, companies. It's, it's whether or not they have the balance sheet or they have the liquidity and the management expertise to see their way through these changing market conditions. So do they have 
a, a sale structure, maybe with contracts that renew on a frequent enough basis do they have the ability to push through price rises onto their to their customer base do they have the ability within within the business to uh, restructure to squeeze out cost pressures elsewhere uh, and therefore you know rebuild those margins ultimately do they survive and how long can they survive in these in these difficult situations and so we shouldn't be afraid of 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 these assets when they fall heavily in price. We need to do the work and think carefully about those risks. And I come back to this question, which is you know ask ourselves whether or not we get paid to take that risk at that point in time. Beyond that, I don't think that all balance sheets suffer in the same way. You know, I think that if you are a you know high quality investment grade um, issuer. You know, perhaps in the consumer sector, that you have uh, a valuable brand and you have the ability to push those prices, price hikes through, and therefore you're not having to absorb that on margins. Um, then you, again, you can see your way, your way through these, these types of environments. Very interesting. So, what you're really suggesting then is that there are pockets of value out there, but uh, you really need to do your homework before you get uh, too involved in, in buying names, perhaps at this this part of the cycle. So you've really got a, a full understanding of what the risks are, that you can actually contrast that with the market pricing in order to to really make that proper value judgment. So Richard, for many years, conventional wisdom, uh, essentially promoted by the market, has been to look to buy the dips. But should we be exercising more patience here? What do you feel is the best strategy for the uncertain world we face in 2022? Well, David, as you know, we've always valued patience as being a critical element of any investment strategy. Um, but I think what you're referring to is uh, this belief that, that investors should always buy the dip, that with central banks being acutely aware of market distress, willing and with a playbook to come out and defend market valuations, that any episode of weak of weakness will be met by central bank intervention, and therefore, as investors, we should take risk ahead of that into that 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 short term weakness. But what Miles has talked about right at the outset is, you know, if in the coming months or quarters, central banks begin to withdraw their immediate liquidity injections into the market, so if they start withdrawing the the uh, you know even if it's just a, a, a cessation of the reinvestment of coupons um, and ultimately later on uh, the beginnings of, of a disposal of balance sheet in that environment it's clear that central banks would be prioritizing a larger macro feature like inflation in their thinking than necessarily the health or dare I say the PL of investors books so I think at the moment, certainly that we should have more patience in the face of of a underlying shift in monetary policy that slowly withdraws the immediate support from that marketplace. And rather than than a a buying the dip, we go back to an environment in which investors once again need to be well compensated for the risk they're taking. And that, to me, again, points a little bit towards a 2018 type scenario where we should expect to see spreads meaningfully wider, not just a little bit wider before we act. It's quite interesting in this environment as well that with the withdrawal of support of quantitative easing, 
gradually happening over the course of the next few months, we will actually see whether indeed the um, the market reprices to um, cheaper levels or, or whether or not the, the momentum that has been engendered over the last uh, 18 months uh, continues uh, a little bit further, even as uh, official interest rates start to rise. So I think it's an interesting environment for all of us investors. Thank you both very much for your your thoughts and insights today and uh, look forward to the next podcast with you both. Thank you very much, David. This podcast is for investment professionals only. For further information, please view the notes which accompany this episode.